Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 143 of the How to Code Well podcast. It is Thursday. It is the 13th of January 2022, and this, of course, is live. And today we're going to be in um, blah 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 blah. I can't speak. <laughs> today we're going to do the next part of the series, which is on how to improve as a software developer. Um, last week uh, we we started this series and today we're going to move on to the uh, five ways to improve uh, testing. Last week we were discussing business logic, what business logic is, and then five ways to improve business logic. Today we're going to be talking about testing, code testing. So uh, last week's show is obviously available on howtocodewell.fm. That's our our website for the podcast or it's available uh, to listen on the podcast players, Spotify, iTunes, um, uh, Google Play Podcast, all of that jazz, or you could watch it here and um, and cut, be involved in the in the discussion. Before we get into the whole test uh, stuff, the five ways to improve your testing, uh, we're going to do a quick change log just to discuss things that have happened in the last week uh, rega- regarding how to code well. Uh, there, there's been a few uh, few things that have have um, happened. I should say. So, for instance, uh, the Docker for Beginners course. This is a, a very old course that I, I did a long, 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 long time ago. Um, I have now created all of the documentation for each of the lessons in that course. There's 11 lessons in that course. And each of those now has a markdown file. And that markdown, those markdown files, they're stored in the code notes GitHub repository, which is our open source repository for uh, code notes, and what I, I would like to do is is build that up and and, uh, and have a code note for every single lesson that we have. Those code notes, of course, are displayed uh, automatically on the howtocodewell.net site in the development space. They're, they're not there at the moment on the web on the web, but once the once we do deploy the new site, those uh, code notes will be available. Okay, I'm also um, working on transcribing the course as well. Now, this is going to take a a fair amount of time because, well, transcribing um, content, video content, audio content takes a long time because you, well, with me at least, I say um a lot and er and all sorts of other weird kind of things. Sometimes I make words up and some of my grammar is not always good. So transcribing the audio into actual text does take a long time. The first lesson in that course is actually 25 minutes long. Most of it is me going um and er, of course, but uh, still it's going to take a while for that to happen. So I foresee that the code notes will be created first and then the transcribing will probably have to be one of these continual background tasks, but I've started that uh, that fun task anyway. Um, also, I've added some functionality to the development site of howtocodewell.net. Um, so we've we now have, or I now have the ability to lock and unlock courses. This is going to turn them into private and public courses as well for uh, enrollment. And I've done things around fixing bugs to do with sign up and forgotten password and some other minor fixes. So there's there's lots of things that are going on under the hood. And I've been doing these in the evenings and I, I did a lot last weekend. So 
I'm hoping that this weekend as well, I'm going to be working on our PHP login course. And I've got uh, parallels running on the Mac here on this Mac mini. And I want to, I need to install a bunch of stuff. And then we're going to use uh, Windows 10 to test that course. And we'll do that on Tuesday. I was planning to do that last Tuesday or this Tuesday, but uh, I, I just have, haven't managed to configure all the bits and pieces ready for that. So hopefully this weekend, I'm going to do that. And then on Tuesday, we can uh, run with that Windows uh, thing and, and get that all sorted. Okay, so that's the change log. There's other things that I could discuss, but it's going to bore you. Let's move on to the actual meat and potatoes of uh, this this episode, and that is testing. So as I mentioned before, in January, I want to come up with a, a series of podcasts, all to do with how to improve yourself as a programmer. Last week, we did business logic and how to improve your business logic. And now we're going to be talking about testing. And I've spoken about testing before, and I, I've talked about how good te- testing is and you know, the reasons why you should test your code. We're not going to play around with that so much. We're going to actually get into the technicalities of testing uh, today. And I've got five sort of, I guess, five bullet points which I can go into in, in, in greater detail. Some of these bullet points actually kind of need their own video. Um <laughs> to be honest, because they're, they're quite big topics. So we might be skirting around a few things and we might be going down certain rabbit holes and coming out of them and going into other rabbit holes throughout today's show. So uh, let me just double check. Yeah, I am recording this. This is all good. <laughs> just double checking that. Uh, okay. So the first one is to automate as much as you can. And This may sound obvious. Let's automate our test, you know, so when you you run PHP unit, it runs our test suite. Fine. Okay. That's, that's, that's all good. But what I'm talking about here is how to actually automate a pipeline of little tests or test suites or code audits that happen during continual integration. Now, I've said a bunch of words there that are, that probably warrant their own videos as to what on earth is continual integration and and all of that jazz. But just know that if there was a way that if there was something that prevented code from being committed into a particular branch that wasn't tested or failed tests, then that would make your um, code pipeline smoother because you'll only know that the stuff going through the pipeline or after the the tests have ran are fully tested or, you know, they, they meet certain requirements of that pipeline. So try and automate your tests and have a pipeline, have continual integration, and also make sure that your pipeline can actually be ran locally. So if the pipeline was to ever, and I I know I'm using pipeline a lot, we should probably do a video on what a pipeline is to be fair. But if your pipeline breaks, then that is an important thing to fix because if that breaks, then you're not actually going to be able to deploy any code, right? So you want to make sure that you don't treat your pipeline as an individual um, sort of separate isolated device in some sort of magical cloud environment. It's actually something that you can pull down and run run the commands locally so you can debug the pipeline. 
we're going to skip over a whole bunch of other the of these notes because I, I I can see the pipeline thing as being its own little sort of podcast episode. So just know automate your tests. <laughs> Automate your tests as much as you can. Uh, use continual integration. Uh, run these tests locally um, and prevent any any code from going through the pipeline um, if the tests fail. And also include auditing tools such as uh, PHP STAN for static analysis, PHP MD for mess detection and cyclomatic complexity checks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is a massive topic in its own right. <laughs> So let's just jump straight into number two. <laughs> and that is something completely different. And this is that statics are, in my opinion, evil. <laughs> statics are evil, in my opinion. Now, I know that a lot of people are like, no, statics are cool. Select methods are great. But actually, they they make your, your code incredibly difficult to test. And I guess a, a theme throughout the, the next couple of points here is that if your code is... If you're finding it tricky to test your code, it usually means that your code isn't designed very well. In my opinion, okay, I'll caveat all of this by saying in my opinion, okay, this isn't fact, this is this is just my opinion. The problem, the beef I have with static methods, public static methods, is the fact that it's very tempting to use another public static method within that public static method that you've got. So, for example, you could have a public static method that calls another public static method, and then that calls another public static method, and so on and so on and so on. It's, you, you, cannot, you simply cannot mock the static methods that are called within your static method that you're trying to test. It just, it just doesn't you just can't. <laughs> you, I, I've tried all sorts of things. I've tried reflection. I've tried all. Yeah, it just doesn't work. And you, you end up just going, why? <laughs> Static methods are okay when they are only doing one thing. And they're not calling on other dependencies statically. Um, then in that sort of scenario, it's okay. But rarely do I find that and 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 there is an argument, you know, static methods are great because they're utility methods and all of this lot. That's fine. I, I understand. But when, as soon as you start calling something else statically within your static method, because you just simply cannot um, mock that out, you can't test what that static method is trying to achieve, um, which is which is very problematic. OK, so. Um, where are we now? Okay. Yes. So static methods are evil in my opinion. Um, sometimes they are a necessary evil. I'm going to say that they, sometimes they are a necessary evil, but, uh, in the most part they're evil. <laughs> okay. Having mocks, um, having, ha I'll caveat this, having many mocks, many, many mocks, and we're talking lots of mocks, having many mocks to test one thing is a, an indication as well of having bad co-design because this is, um, this could highlight the fact that uh, you haven't dealt with dependency injection very well, or you're, you're trying to your your code that you're trying to test is trying to do too many things and requires too many dependencies. Um, 
this is often, in my opinion, an indication of over over abstraction. If you're trying to bring in a lot of these abstract classes as dependencies into whatever it is that you're trying to test, you've, in my opinion, you've you've over abstracted it. If you're, for instance, your your one of your dependencies that you're trying to inject, you only care about say. 10% of that class, maybe it's just a single method in that class just to do this one thing. Um, and the rest of it, the 90% of that class is not relevant to the code that you're actually trying to test. Then that is, again, it is an indication of over abstraction. Um, there is a point here later on, but I'll, I'll bring it up now. Use testing as itself at all to indicate that your code is designed badly and it should be refactored. So you can use these things. And often it's the case, like I've mentioned before, that once you once you discover that something is awkward to test, then that often is an indication that things are not architected right, or they, they require a bit of refactoring, a little bit of uh, TLC, tender love and care. Um, because... If they're too difficult to test, then they're they're too ingrained in in the actual software. That may sound a bit weird, but think about this: when you're testing in specifically in unit tests, when you're testing a single unit of work, and if that unit of work cannot be tested without five or six different mocks <laughs> to just test this one value that changes. Um, again, think of the IPO, so input process, um, input process output. So basically, you're testing the process and making sure that the output is is as expected. If in that process, you are having to inject all sorts of different things or statically call various different bits and pieces in order to get your output to be to what is expected, then your code is doing far too much. And in fact, what you're doing is instead of testing a unit of work, you're actually testing all the various different um, uh, collaboration between the various different dependencies that your, your, your unit of work is dealing with. Okay, so there we go. So having many mocks is an indication of a bad co-design in my, in my opinion. Okay, um, so we, we've we've learned a lot on unit tests. This we're also going to move into things like um, flaky tests and other things. So a little bit of uh, integration and and acceptance testing as well. So don't worry, this isn't just a centered on on unit tests. However, it kind of you know I could do videos on all of these things in in in, in their sort of individual sort of worlds. But uh, let's 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 move on. Uh, so yes, uh, just just to recap: if a unit of work cannot be easily tested, then it usually means that the code is not designed well. Um, break your tests up into smaller chunks. So try and only test one thing. Again, going back to the IPO input process output. What you're what you're doing when you write a test is you're saying this is the expected value. So you are only checking the value, a value. The process is the is the working out of how to get to that expected value. But remember, you're only testing that one value. You're not testing everything else. So try and break down the process as well as your test into smaller little bite, bite sizes of things. Um, technically, you're supposed to have like, I, th I think they say, 
you're supposed to have more tests than there are features because obviously a feature will depend on other bits and you know the architecture and stuff and the the clue of of how the code is all wrapped together you got to test those parts as well um, plus you've got things like functional integration tests and acceptance tests as well as unit tests so one would one would expect in that sense that you would have more tests than actual code um, because you'll be testing all sorts of different various um configurations and and uh, uh uh different providers and different different states of the system in in different ways okay so uh tests can highlight micro and minor refactors as well so when you're um so this is this is all part of the use tests to help refactor your code kind of piece here so te- tests can highlight micro and minor refactors what does that mean what does a micro what is a micro uh refactor and what is a minor refactor so so in in my opinion uh refactoring of code can go into into various different sort of complexities depending on the size of the refactor so for example if you were just to rename a file and a class but nothing else that, in my opinion, is a micro refactor because you're just changing one thing. You're not changing the behavior. You're not changing. You're just changing a f- class name, a file. Same with just changing uh, a function name or a, a method name. When you're starting to play around with actually moving code around and re-architecting it and changing the structure of code, then we're moving into bigger refactors. But you should use tests. Well, you can use tests as a as a way of 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 explaining the code and what the code is trying to do. And what I usually do when I write my tests is, is I, I talk aloud and basically I'm talking to myself. And um, if it doesn't make sense, then it doesn't make sense. And the test is describing what the process is doing and the record and the outcome, what the outcome will be. So test that blah, blah, blah is blah, 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 when blah, 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 blah my actual test functions are or test methods are actually quite long they're actually they're actually quite long because they say exactly what they're trying to achieve and how they're going to do it um so if you have to call upon a class that um is named something that doesn't make any sense in the context that you're testing in then maybe that is a an indication that you need to change the class name or maybe if the class that you're dealing with is actually to do with something completely different, but you, you've got to play around with a method that that class has, then maybe that's an indication that you need to do a bigger refactor and perhaps have uh, an, another class specifically for your needs that perhaps injects another class and then uses perhaps a um, an interface. I don't know. I, I'm just making all of this stuff on the, on the fly, of, of course. But use testing as a means of highlighting areas of your code that could be refactored a little and then obviously refactor the code test the code refactor the code test the code keep going and keep going and keep going until you're until you're happy with it but obviously don't fall into the trap of over abstraction because that's uh that's quite painful um anyway so try and do this if you can in a in a in a tdd kind of way so you would 
what you would do is you would go, hmm, okay, this code, if, if this was a legacy project and you've, you've just jumped on it and so the code is already existing, you can't start with TDD because you're starting with the code. But once you start refactoring, you can then fall into TDD because you've got, say, the existing code base and you want to refactor it. Well, create the new method or create the new class test that oh it fails yes because there's the, the the various bits and pieces on um aren't there yet then you can migrate the code across to the to the new refactored world and then test that bring in the other bits and pieces and, and off you go to the races um i hope that made sense <laughs> okay so uh the next one is a bit of a beefy one this is number four I think. And um, this one's a bit beefy. And this is avoid flaky tests. So flaky, flaky tests. Um, what are flake? What does that mean? What does flaky tests mean? Well, this is this happens more, uh, more regularly than you probably imagine. Um, this is where a, a test that you run repeatedly um, has a very different outcome. And that outcome is um, very random. And therefore, the test is not um, always reproducible, as in the, the, the error that the test may have is there sometimes and not there some other times. There are a few ways that reasons why that could happen. Um, if we focus on unit tests and then we move on to acceptance tests. So unit tests, let's say, for example, you, you've got a test suite that runs, but that suite is also doing other things. This has happened to me before. And then your tests timeout or your tests throw a memory error, you know, a memory leak. And so the things that you expect should work don't work because there is some other influence that is preventing those tests from happening. Or if we move into the functional tests where you're perhaps hitting a database, maybe you've forgotten to um, uh, refresh the state. And so the database actually changes and then you retest and you're expecting a different set of um, uh, maybe it's a user account that you're testing and maybe you haven't reset the user credentials or user, um, uh, I don't know, data in a way that you you expect the test to begin with. And so that fails. Uh, and, and, um, and maybe that changes on one test and it's required by another test. Maybe your tests are done in the wrong order. Um, but also um, there are there are other things I mentioned memory links I mentioned uh, timeouts um, there are other things like if we're talking now into integration tests where you're testing the integration between perhaps your system and another system maybe it's an API maybe their API goes down their sandbox goes down um, and then it comes back up again or maybe their sandbox is too slow. Or maybe, I don't know, something happens um, asynchronously, which you didn't expect. So essentially what I'm saying here is that you've got to try and, you've got to try and test the unexpected. The, uh, the temptation, of course, is to always test the happy path. So you're, you're testing that things work, not you're testing. You, you rarely... T- in my in my uh, experience you rather you rarely start a test by testing uh, how it is going to fail <laughs> so these flaky tests are actually quite important and you shouldn't be annoyed with these well it, they are annoying 
trust me, they are annoying. But you you shouldn't look upon them as as um, like oh, I'll just get rid of the test because they're they're getting in the way. You don't do that. I've I've been in that situation before where the flaky tests were just so annoying that we just commented them out and got rid of them. But actually, actually, they're valuable tests to have, in my opinion, because they are actually showing how the system is going to cope under those various different circumstances. And so f- picking on the integration test, because I know we've done a lot of unit tests and, and, and perhaps some, um, some acceptance tests, uh, picking on integration tests where you're into, you're testing the integration between an API and your own, uh, your own application. What you can do is you can actually mock the uh, the API, the responses coming back from wherever. I've done this with Stripe. So with the Stripe API, I've created my own Stripe API, which replicates Stripe. But because I'm in control of it, I can turn it. To, you know, I can uh, I can change the speed of the res- of the request of the responses. I can change whether the the error codes come back differently i can then control how that api is going to respond if it responds at all and then i can test how my code is going to be affected with that and so i can actually play around and 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 force failure and test how my code is going to react upon failure um so that's that's certainly a, a way to to try and mitigate um flaky tests another way is to if you're if you're dealing with us if you're testing on a, a system that does other things then that's usually a bad idea so if you've got cron jobs r- running on your test suite um, that uh, do various different things i don't know i've worked on things where the test suite does all sorts of backups and or or um, logs and reporting and, and other things that Try and try and silo your test suite to only do the tests. So whether this is in, in the cloud, get a VPS that is specifically just for testing. Try and limit the amount of other things that your test suite does. Um, I know it's very tempting to go, oh, well, you know, we've got a box that just does tests. So let's get it to do other things. Those other things can affect your tests. And in my experience, when the flaky tests happen, they happen when you're trying to fix a critical issue. <laughs> they happen when they shouldn't happen, uh, and they happen out of the blue. So try try to um, try and silo your test suite to only be your test suite. Don't use your test suite, test your server that the tests are running on to do other things because that's gonna that's gonna screw you up, and it probably will be fine. You know, as soon you know, as soon as you do that app to get install and run that thing, that it'll be probably fine then. But what can happen is memory leaks, um, <laughs> or at a certain time of the day, maybe a cron runs and then the database locks up because it's you know ran out of storage space or allocation or what what not. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, what you also want to try and do with your tests as well is to try and mimic flakiness as well. So what happened, you know, how does your application respond when the the values change um, for the worse? Like 
what happens when things are null when they should be an instance of an object what happens when um i think we're we're moving into mutation testing which i don't really know much about but um you know what happens when your application uh your the the values of your your of your software um alter for the in in, in a wrong way how how does that work um uh, because they're going to happen at some point in the, in the real world it's only you running that test suite. When your application is out in the wild, it could be seen and used by millions of people all at once, and they'll all have very different outcomes. Um, it's not always just going to be how it looks when you refresh the page. Okay. So the last one is less technical, more about how one thinks and perceives about tests, uh, and that is you know, rethink what testing means to you. So I've been on a little journey, um, I guess, over the last year or so. I, I, I'm not a, I don't, I try and test as much as I can do. I certainly test as much as I, I can do on howtocodewell.net. Um, I've got, you know, a, a good set of, of, in my opinion, strong tests on howtocodewell.net on the development site. Um, but I, I've been trying to do t- more testing out when I, you know, in, in the prof- professional sense when I'm working for clients and um, I've got a huge long way to go. But what one thing I have been working on is my perception of testing and what testing actually means to me. So um, I, I've come up with, what was it? One, two, three, four ways of thinking about tests. The first one is that testing is a contractual agreement between the programmer and the code. And this is really important. Um, This has changed my way of thinking about tests because once you start seeing it as a contractual agreement between you and the code, it means that what you're doing when you're writing a test is you're saying that this fact, this um, assertion should be the expected value. And that is the agreement that you as a programmer have to um to the test and if that doesn't happen if the test fails then that means that the contract is broken so it's kind of a very different mindset it's not just more code to write it's 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 i'm actually writing contractual agreements between me and the test suite and this is all of the things that i know are factually correct the code will only do um, will only behave in how you code it so if you're if you're creating a contract to say behave in this manner under these circumstances then that is that that is you coming up with that binding contract Um, which means moving on to the next part testing is actually more like documentation because the way you write your test methods that explain what it is that you're going to test and how that process works, that is actually documentation. Um, and you can write this documentation in various different ways, such as Gherkin. Um, I really like the Gherkin uh, programming language, uh, the bro- sorry, the Gherkin language. I um, try and use this in acceptance criteria in ACs where it's given when then and blah 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 
So like, you know, given I am a logged out user and I access log login form and I fill out an incorrect login, login details and I click uh, submit, then I should get this error message. That is docu- you're documenting how the application behaves in a in a very sort of uh, procedural manner, which both you as a programmer and QA or the biz or just a business person can understand. Uh, someone else on the team can understand because it's very matter of fact. It's you know, given when then, blah blah blah. You know. It makes sense. It's easy to read, and there's no way to nowhere to hide when you're actually being that matter of fact and that precise. Um, also, uh, the next point is testing is boundary setting. Um, it helps with focus. So often or not, when you're writing code, I find this personally. When I write code and I'm working on a very large code base we're talking like you know millions of lines of code in this in this code base it's very it's 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 very tempting to to not see the woods through, through the trees it's you know having a very sort of um not a focused look upon something you you you're trying to think of everything at once and that can become quite tricky when you're working on a, a specific feature or a bug for all on a specific feature. Whereas when you're testing, you're testing in, in the unit sense, at least you're testing a unit of work, which means that you are more dialed in. You're more focused on what that one piece of, of functionality is doing. And you're testing that one piece of, of code, um, which means that you're not, you don't really at that one point at time when you're actually writing that test, you don't care about all the other things, all the other bells and whistles that the application does because you're not testing that you're testing this one piece of unit of work, which means that it's easier to, to set boundaries. Um, and it, in my opinion, that just helps with focus. Another thing, another uh, way of thinking about testing is the fact that, um, Testing actually helps with future-proofing your application. Um, It may seem that you're spending ages writing tests. And I did mention earlier that normally what happens is you have more tests than actual code. Uh, If you're, if you're, if you are down with a TDD and you are doing loads and loads and loads of testing um, in terms of lines of lines of code tests, you usually have more tests than you do code. It doesn't happen always. Trust me. It certainly doesn't happen always. Um, (laughs) especially i mean i'm a contractor so when i jump onto legacy applications and and some of them just don't have any tests so that just doesn't work but when you're working on an application that is test driven and test um uh focused then yeah there seems to be more tests in the actual code um because they're you're testing the various different um endless possibilities of of the application uh, so, so where I was going with this, so testing is future proofing. So testing is a way of, of making sure that future upgrades to the application actually work. And you can use say code coverage to ensure that you have enough of your code, your critical code. So 
not just code coverage as in, yay, I've just hit 90% code coverage. Code coverage in the sense that, yay, I've hit 90% of the business critical pieces of code. The other pieces of code that aren't business critical probably can be left um, for now. It's not it's not critical that they are checked over. Not as critical as the the business critical pieces of code. Try and get those, the the code the code coverage high on that because that is important. That is the thing that's actually going to make you money um, if it, if your site does make money. So. What you want to do is make sure that those that's a, a high percentage of code coverage on those things and that when you come to upgrade your application, um, you're, you have something that is reliable and repeatable that tells you that these things are still working um, when you do the upgrade. And you can also do the upgrade in, in um, sort of a, a sandbox environment that the tests, because of your continual integration that we mentioned right at the start of this, they will not allow any code going into your application uh, that fails the tests. So you are essentially creating a gatekeeper, a guard that prevents anything from going into your application that will break those tests, which means that you have a line of defense. And believe you me, I've worked on applications where there has been very little tests and I've had to do an upgrade and that has scared the life out of me. Having tests really does help with the mental health when you're doing um, upgrades. Certainly does because then you have something that is um, reliable and repeatable and some proof, factual proof that your application will work with this upgrade. (laughs) So that's uh, five, I think we did six in the end, five ways to improve your testing, automate as much as you can, statics are evil, having many mocks is an indication of bad code design, use tests to help refactor your code, avoid flaky tests, and rethink what testing means to you. I think that was six. Anyway, there you go. I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed that. If you um, if you've got any questions, of course, do let me know. Go to howtocodewell.net forward slash contact. That is the contact form for the howtocodewell.fm. Sorry, forward slash contact. That's our contact form. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you all on Sunday uh, for our Sunday stream. Um, what we're going to do on that? Well, I haven't particularly decided but we are going to be doing code it's not going to be doing the um the code notes stuff that we did on tuesday it's actually going to be writing some code but i I need to work out what that is a feature or a bug that uh, i choose on the howtocodewell.net site that's what we're going to do on twitch i'll probably be there around half past two on sunday i'll let everybody know via twitter happy coding everyone i hope you've all had a fantastic week on your going to continue to have a fantastic week because it's only thursday take care and i'll speak to you again next thursday here at eight o'clock uh gmt we're still on gmt here uh on youtube youtube.com forward slash how to code well take care how to happy coding blah 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 (laughs) happy coding take care cheers bye bye